Take your Bibles, if you've got them, turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're going to start a series of messages today uh, moving towards Christmas. And uh, the way that I envision this is that over the next five weeks, we are going to be uh, having, we're going to have one sermon for five weeks, all right? That's not going to take that long, but it'll be one sermon for five weeks. And each week is going to be an addition to the previous week. And so we're going to talk about a different way to celebrate the Christmas holiday. And we're going to title this series Simply Christmas. And what we're talking about is the way that we can simplify the way that we celebrate this most important season. But before we do that, I want to uh, ask you to indulge me for a moment. Um, How many of you remember the show... uh, or it's still on in syndication, but when the show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire first came out, I mean, you remember that, all right? Remember, it was on like, I don't know, 100 days in a row, and it was on, it was like three weeks every night it was on. I probably told you this, I've been here three and a half years, but um, there was a moment during that time when I thought I was going to be on the show. I was uh, had gotten the call and all that stuff, we were going through all that process, and so we watched the show pretty um, religiously during that time. We watched it quite a bit. And what I always uh, loved about Who Wants to Be a Millionaire was that it put somebody in the hot seat and made them answer questions that they might, should, or should not know. Well, today, I, I never got to be on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. And so I want to play a little Who Wants to Be a Millionaire here today. All right? But here's the thing I'm not going to be playing, I'm going to be Regis. All right? Not Meredith, of Regis, all right? And so I need three volunteers, all right? Jackson, we got one right there, all right? We have an adult that would like to volunteer to be on the hot seat. Come on up, Jackson. No, we don't. I'm going to just choose here in a minute, all right? Two more volunteers. Wendy, thank you, Ben York. Come on up. All right. Let's go. We're going to have an adult, you know, here. All right. You're, yeah, Jackson, you're in the hot seat. Now, I will tell you, it is who wants to be a millionaire, so there are two lifelines, okay? Remember lifelines? I don't even know if they do those anymore. They do the lifelines anymore. But the, the lifelines, I'm asking Debbie, because when I go down to lunch on, uh, when I go down to the Family Life Center at lunch, who wants to be a millionaire is still on, all right? So you do have two lifelines if you need them. The first is ask the audience. We'll poll the audience. And the second is call a staff, okay, where you get to phone a staff member, okay, and ask them the question, all right? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you the question. The, the choices will be up on the screen, and we're just going to see if you can do this, okay? First of all, people buy surge protectors for their homes in order to prevent damage from, these are your choices, A, electricity, B, water, C, air pressure, D, buyer's remorse. Jackson Chambers, do you have an answer? Is that your final answer? That's my final. His final answer is electricity, and the answer is electricity. All right, congratulations. You win absolutely nothing. Congratulations. All right, next up is Wendy. You have to sit on the hot seat. Yes, this is, this is who wants to be a millionaire, Wendy. You don't get to choose what you do. All right. Number two, when attacked and threatened by predators, what animal will squirt ink? A, cheetah. B, squid. C, owl. Or D, Paris Hilton. 
Now, before you answer, because I can see in your eyes there's a little concern, we're going to use one of your lifelines. Oh, okay. We're going to poll the audience, all right? So how many of you think it is A, cheetah? B, squid. How many B? C, owl. And D, Paris Hilton, all right? We had a few Paris Hilton. All right, you've seen the audience's response. Your answer is? B. B, squid. And you're absolutely correct. Congratulations. You win nothing. All right? Y'all can be seated. Now we just have Ben. All right? Ben York. Which phrase is a common way of saying, I can't take it anymore? A, that's the last stick. B, that's the last leaf. C, that's the last straw. Or D, I'm moving to Canada. Now, before you answer, I can see in your eyes that you need to use your phonostaff. So we're going to call Ryan Coatney and allow you to consult with him about this. We can't get in touch with Ryan unless we call him. And so the phone is, should be ringing. The cell reception here is not very good sometimes. I don't know if we'll be able to get him on the phone. <laughs> you have 30 seconds. To the question? You, I, I, You're here. Ben. Let's, let's pretend like we're on the show. Let's go. Thank you, Ben. Your time is up. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So your final answer is? C. Is what? The final answer is C. Are you, are you sure about that? Sure. Really? Sure. Correct answer is C. That's the last straw. Congratulations, Ben York. Now, you may know what all those have in common. They were all the $100 question, and they were all missed on who wants to be a millionaire. All three of them were missed on the show. The first one, uh, the one about the surge protector, um, the guy on the show was a college student from Nashville, Tennessee, and he gave the incorrect answer. Uh, The second one, was a housewife from the Midwest, the question about the ink, and she said it was an owl that squirted ink. I haven't seen those kind of owls before. Uh, And the last one was a lawyer from Oregon who had quit his job with his wife to tour the world and were now jobless and homeless and needed some money. So he said it was the last stick is the... Well, you said it. Now, here's the point about all that, okay? Those are simple questions, right? Right? Simple questions. And the first question on millionaire is supposed to be the slam dunk, you get it right every time question. Here's the thing. The people overanalyzed the question to the point that they gave the wrong answer. And what they did is they complicated something that should have been very simple. They complicated a question that the answer should have already been evident. We're entering into a time of year when if we're not careful, we can complicate the simple message of Christmas to the point that we miss it altogether. I mean, there are things in our lives around this holiday that complicate the holiday. Schedules, parties, Exams, family, friends, food, 
getting the right present for the right person, making sure you get it wrapped, making sure you get everything just right, making the travel arrangements, clearing up everything that's got to happen. And before long, you get to the end of the holiday and people say things like, I am so glad Christmas is over. And what we want to talk about over the next few weeks is simply Christmas. Celebrating this holiday in a very simple way. Luke chapter 1. Did I already tell you to turn to Luke chapter 1? If not, turn there. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, we have the story of the birth of Jesus being foretold. So it's the beginning of the Christmas story. Luke gives us the background of that. says that the angel appeared to Mary one night and said that she was going to have a child. And Mary said, how in the world can that happen? I've never been with a man. And he says, the Holy Spirit will happen. It will happen. And she says, let it be unto me as you have said. So basically she says, whatever the Lord's will is, that is what I want. Okay? And so we get to, uh, we see that that happens in verse 38. Well, in verse 39, it says, At that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. Now let me ask you a question. Why would Mary essentially run away from home at this moment? Isn't that what it says? That she found out the news, the angel appears to her, and what does she do? She packs her stuff and she runs away. Why would she do that? She was about to be an unwed 14 or 15-year-old girl who was pregnant. Now, I don't think she was scared I think she just realized what was going on. And so she takes off and she runs to the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah and Elizabeth. She goes to family. Now, I don't know what the relationship was like with Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary. I don't know what their relationships were like with their parents. I don't know any of that stuff. What I do know is... In her time of need, she went to a place that she felt comfortable. She went to a place that she thought would understand. In some way, she needed to find a place of refuge. She walks into Elizabeth's home in verse uh, 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. Now, remember, Elizabeth is going to have a baby who will be John the Baptist. And it says that he leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. So here's the scene. You have Mary, who has been told this unbelievable news by the Lord, And apparently from what we see here, at this moment in the book of Luke, the only person that has confirmed it to her is this angel. She leaves her home, she walks into a home of someone else, and the news is confirmed again. You ever had one of those moments when you just felt like you were doing something crazy or you heard a word from the Lord or you got an inclination that something ought to happen, and then when someone else confirms it or says something to you, you just know in your heart that it's right? That's what happened with Mary here. And so she gets to this house. She finds out all this is going to happen to her. Everything is as it is said. And her first thought is to simply reflect on what the Lord has done. 
And the first thing that I'm going to ask you to do in the month that is to come as we get prepared to celebrate Christmas together is I'm going to ask you to simply reflect. If you're going to have a simple Christmas, it's going to revolve about around reflecting on what the Lord has done. I'm going to ask you to reflect on two things and only two things, and I'm going to give you homework each week in this series. Each week in the series, I'm going to ask you to do something at home. I'm going to ask you to do something during the week. Then you can bring them and put them on the... Then I'll grade them and get them back to you by the next week, all right? And we're not actually going to do homework. But I'm going to ask you to do some things. And what I'm going to ask you to do this week is for 10 minutes a day, I want you to reflect. Now, some of you say, I reflect 30 minutes a day. That's fine. But I'm asking me in this room that don't do this kind of thing for 10 minutes a day this week to reflect. And I want you to reflect on these two things. The two things that Mary reflected on, and the first one is this, the greatness of our God. Look at verse 46. It says Mary's song here, it's called in some places the Magnificat. What that means is it is a song that Mary sings to the Lord about how great He is. Verse 46, it said, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now, if you read that in the original language, what it says is, My soul will continually at all times glorify the Lord. My soul will continually at all times glorify the Lord. Let me just ask you a real honest question this morning. Could you say that the number one desire of your life is to continually glorify the Lord. With all that you are, with all that you have, with who you are. Mary, in this moment of great questioning, I mean, just imagine if you're Mary for a moment and you've got questions about how and when and what does it mean. My life has been thrown upside down. I'm engaged to be married, and how am I going to tell Joseph? And how are we going to work through this as a family? And, and will, 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 Joseph, will Joseph even accept what's happening here? I mean, has God just completely torn up my life? I mean, we're at the point here. I mean, once we get to chapter 2 and we see the birth of Jesus and we see all of that, and we understand that Joseph had a vision, but there were moments in the life of Mary when she had to say unto the Lord, let it be unto me as you have said. And in her mind, she's thinking about, all of the ways that her life has just been flipped upside down. And yet, in the midst of that, she says, my goal, my desire, my hope is to, first of all, glorify the Lord continually. What's your ultimate desire? What's your ultimate goal? What is life all about for you? I mean, what we do here on Sundays... Is this just another little accessory to the rest of what's going on in your life that helps you to feel good about other things that are happening? Or is the are the things of God the things that you are passionately pursuing with all that you have? This Christmas season, are the presents and the songs and the trees and the decorations and the family and all of that, is that what you're passionately pursuing? Or is it the God 
who made it all possible. Now, Mary gives a lot of good things about who God is. It gives this idea that God is great. He is beyond our comprehension. That He is a God that we cannot even fathom about how wonderful He is. It gives us this understanding that God is not only great, but that He is good. She says there, He has been mindful of His humble servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. He is the mighty one. The mighty one there literally means like the strongest of the strong, the greatest of the great, the mega powerful one. Holy is His name. He is completely different than anything we know. He is completely set apart. That He is a God who cannot be thought about in a way that would come close to describing Him. Who cannot be talked about in a way that would come close to doing Him justice. He is completely different than all of us. Sometime this week, each day for ten minutes, I want you to reflect on the glory, on the greatness, on the wonder of the God that we say that we serve. If you're in the one-year Bible and you're reading through that, look at Daniel or look at uh, the, the Psalms or look at the New Testament writings and ask, what is God like based on what this Scripture says? If you're not, I would advise you to take your Bible and just starting reading Psalm 1 and read a psalm or two a day and write the character of God or the characteristic of God that is in there and ask yourself, how great is the God that we serve. I mean, we just finished singing about the greatness of our God. I mean, I couldn't help but think we're singing Revelation song. I love that song. But in that song, there's a line that says, uh, clothed in rainbows. Now, does anybody know what it looks like to be clothed in rainbows? No. I don't have a clue. Anybody ever seen anybody clothed in rainbows? Y'all just looking at me, all right? Now, where does that come from? Well, it comes from the kind of scriptural understanding that there is this mighty glory about God and that even in Revelation, some of the reasons Revelation reads so crazy is because the greatness of God cannot be described in the words of man. And sometimes you just have to say things. Anybody read Ezekiel lately? Ezekiel starts saying stuff like, I saw God and it was like a wheel turning within a wheel and it was going right and left and up and down and front and back and it had eyes all over it and there were four heads coming out of it. That's not what God really looks like, you know. God didn't actually have four heads. It's just that we can't describe it. His greatness is so high that we have to come up with some way to describe it. The sweep, like Mary did here, I want you to reflect on the greatness of of God. Second thing that I want you to reflect on is not only the greatness of God and who He is, but I want you to reflect on what He has done for you. Look what she says. Verse 48. He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. Mary literally looks at this and says that she doesn't deserve anything. She says, he's been mindful of my humble estate. He owes me nothing. I know him everything. He didn't need me, but he chose me. She lived in a nation that was under humiliation in Roman law. She was under that tyranny, that cruelness. And yet she says, God has not forgotten his people. I mean, Mary was a nobody from nowhere. She was probably, if you would have taken a poll, at the bottom of the women of the world in that area that would later become famous. And yet today, she may be the most famous woman of all time. She was from a backwoods, nowhere town, and yet 
God knew her. We drove to Jackson this week. On our way to Jackson, going Thanksgiving, we went Tuesday night. One of our boys needed an emergency restroom break. Now, my rule is generally when you get in the car, gas tank full, bladder's empty. We don't stop until gas tank's empty. Doesn't matter about your bladder, all right? No, we, we, but with the kids, you can't make those kind of plans. And so we had to stop. Anybody know where we got to stop at? It was in a luxurious place. Buck Snort. Anybody been to Buck Snort? You know, my, my kids never have emergency potty breaks, you know, in luxurious places. No, we need Buck Snort. Well, here's the thing. Buck Snort does not have the nicest gas station restaurants that I have ever seen. They're not anywhere close. They're not in the top 75% of what I've seen. And it seems to be. Anybody here from Buck Snort? Anybody going to admit they're here from Buck Snort? I don't know a thing about Buck Snort. But this is what I know. God cares deeply about every Buck Snortian. What would you What would you call yourself if you were from Buck Snort? A Buck Snorter? Would that be it? And he knows each one individually by name. And he cares about them. Think about if you're married. And he says, basically, Scripture teaches that God looks to and fro, roaming the earth, seeing whom he can choose for these kind of tasks. Who will be faithful. Imagine God says, out of all of the women who have or will live, I choose you. And yet the truth is, for those of us that are believers in Jesus Christ, what we realize is that God has looked across all the millennia of existence and pre-existence and said, I choose you. I desire a relationship with you. What we have to realize is this. Christmas comes down to this simple fact. Without Jesus Christ, there is no hope. None. No hope for you, no hope for me, no hope for the world. I mean, we listen to a world that has nice platitudes. They say nice things. Peace on earth. But the truth is, without Jesus Christ, there is no hope. And if you are here and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you this week to reflect on what God has done for you. I want you to write down how bad you are. I mean, don't try to act super spiritual. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. And we all are terrible people. Write it down. Write down the things that God has forgiven you for. If there are things that you have done in your life that you haven't asked for forgiveness for, ask for it. The Scripture says that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins when we confess them unto Him. We know that He has bought the price, or He paid the price, bought us with His blood, that He has forgiven us yesterday, today, and forever. But we also know that we need to be effective in Him, and the way we do that is we continually confess and we move forward. So write them down. And then write down how great God has been. 
at the end of this song, she writes all this stuff that happens, and she talks about raising up the humble and taking these mighty deeds, and he brought down rulers, and he filled the hungry. He has helped Israel. And the point of that at the end is the thing that we know about God for sure is he is great, he is good, he is merciful, he is kind, he is holy, he is all of those things. But the most um, sustaining thing for us is that God is faithful. What he says, he will do. He keeps his promises and he fulfills his vows. And what Mary says in this song is, I think underlying it is I don't have a clue what tomorrow holds, but I serve a God that is faithful to get me through whatever it is. And as we stand on the edge of celebrating this Christmas, I just want you to simply reflect on who God is and what He's done.